Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the Imitating Jesus podcast by Icon Ministries. I'm joined today by my two dear friends, Louis Clark. That's your Hello. Yeah, Good morning. Good job. Afternoon. Whatever Doug, afternoon. sing us a greeting. Do not sing on command, but hello. <laughs> hello. Very good. Oh, Adele, or were you doing Lionel? Okay, anyway, we'll keep moving on here. Um, all right, so the vision of Icon Ministries and this podcast is to Doug C. Disciples? Yes. Where? A- everywhere. That's right. And what are they doing, Louis? Loving like Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about. So we do that initiating love, self-sacrifice, friendship, belonging, hospitality, and empowerment that leads to the multiplications of disciples of Jesus throughout the world. So we are taking a slow walk through the, the book Imitating Jesus, written by Louis Clark in 2011. Um, this is a wonderful book, Louis, if you don't mind me saying, just given a biblical framework as well as practical application of what it means to make disciples, why we make disciples, what that looks like. Um, so we are just marching through this. So today we're going to be looking at chapters kind of 2 and 10, <clears throat> exploring the idea of, of being in the company of disciples. So, Louis, with your permission, I don't know if this is violating copyright laws, but may I read the first paragraph of chapter Please 2 do. with your blessing? You, you will have to pay him $10. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> per, per word or just? Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. I will Venmo you. Several years ago, this is Louis Clark writing, several years ago I began looking more closely at the discipling methods of Jesus. I was intrigued by the way he used both one-on-one encounters and group settings to develop the spiritual maturity of his followers. Until that time, I had concentrated almost entirely on one-on-one relationships, so I decided to make some changes. Tell us more about that, that epiphany and that exploration, Louis, the why and what that looked like. Well, what makes us think that we can improve on the methods of Jesus? Well, we have iPhones. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Right. And, uh, and I, again, I think the assumption of Christianity was disciple-making uh, one-on-one. I think that's what we were trained in. It was uh, equipping people. And, um, and, but I look at the methods of Jesus, and he discipled in community. You know, he gathered the 12, and then we have four camera angles through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that look at the training of the 12 and their relationship between of Jesus with his men. And, and I also was seeing where love was the objective. Men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Well, sitting one-on-one with a guy in Starbucks... You know, I'm not able to observe his relationship mm-hmm. with other disciples. Yeah, I can. I can look like an all-star. Yeah, yeah, just right. Tell you whatever yeah, I want right. to hear. And so, what I did is, I at that time, I, I think it was about ten different guys I was discipling. So, I pulled them all together. And the other piece that was new to me was hospitality. And so, I pulled all the guys together and cooked. And I remember the first thing I cooked was Italian beef because I'm from Chicago and. That's what my mom made, and so she coached me on how to make Italian beef sandwiches. And so that's what we had. And it was the first time these guys had been together. Many of them didn't even know one another. And as I mentioned in the book, it was kind of a disaster and a fiasco (laughs) because I I started realizing they didn't necessarily get along and um, that there was... I saw things in their lives that 
would only be exposed if you were in a relationship in, in a group like that. And so from there I had to start, almost start over and say, okay, I've got a lot to work on with this guy and that guy. Um, but that's what, again, I think that's what disciple making is. That is the method that Jesus showed us. Yeah, and you're reminding me of just some encounters with Jesus and the disciples where it was a similar thing. I mean, he was, how many, you know, multiple times we see uh, the scenario where the disciples are arguing about something, you know, insignificant or that they're thinking wrong. And and Jesus, it, it almost feels like he stops in the middle of the road and says, what? What are you doing? What are you arguing about? Do you not know that this is not how it is in the kingdom of God? And, and, and you know, it can be easy to, to I think, think about uh, the disciples and almost have this romantic view of it that, man, everything was amazing and, it, you know, it was, it was clean, it was getting along, it was having this incredible experience. But, but part of it, I think, of the journey of Jesus was those guys, with those guys, was was helping them understand that that in being a disciple and being a disciple maker, so much of it is about learning to love. You know, it's not natural for us to um, put our differences aside uh, and for the sake of a bigger thing, you know, for the kingdom. But Jesus was constantly going, "Hey, look, you guys aren't getting along, and it's ridiculous." And I think for us, it's the same thing. It's it's helping people that really are different from one another in a way, learn to see each other and treat each other through the lens and the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. When I got married to Josie, you know, everyone says you get married and it really exposes you for how selfish you truly are. And there, there was some of that. Um, I'm sure she could tell stories. But it's when we started having kids, like that's when the fullness of my self-centered ecosystem was exposed because it was no longer about me it just couldn't be for us to survive and in in the same sense so one-on-one i could muster up enough strength to be a pretty decent person with josie but when there were kids introduced to the environment like josie really saw who i am and then how i respond to situations and, and where I fly off the handle and, and where I lose my cool. But that wouldn't have happened if we weren't in this in this group setting. So Louis, I resonate. And so there, there's a sociological principle there, which is significant. But the theological one, when we look at, at Christ in the way, you know, honestly, I think some frank analysis of Jesus's method, I think he had a pretty bad strategy. Like I, I would have, I would have been filling up coliseums with thousands of people. I'd have been shooting. And you could. Lightning. You know right. you could. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it with my juggling skills. But I would have been shock and awe, lightning from my fingertips, calling legions of unicorns to bow at my feet and worship. Like that's kind of the direction I would have gone. I definitely wouldn't have just picked 12 guys and, and, and wandered through <laughs> the local area for two and a half years together but I think he, he knew that there needed to be that it was the relationship with one another which was going to be the litmus test which was which was going to be what caused to bubble to the surface what's truly in our hearts and that's what Jesus is really about right that's what the Beatitudes teach us that it is not about what we do it's about what's in our heart and I think being in community being in, with groups of people exposes what's in my heart 
Exactly. And I think that um, the portal to know God will be through the relationships that are in my life. I, I, I think back to um, um, there was a man in our church back in Little Rock who was a businessman. And um, he, but he impacted me just by simple statements he made. And um, one, one thing he said, is says, I know where God's at work in my life in the finances, both when there's pressure, you know, I'm, uh, a financial need, but then also in abundance. He said, secondly, I know where God's at work in my life when I ha- there are people I have to love and I can't escape from them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, um, and who he puts in my life that I have to love, and I just would rather not them be there. And I do think that it's in the community, it's and it, the hardest people in the community for me to love, the hardest people for me to get along with are my portal to the mm-hmm. love of God. Mm-hmm. And for me, for intimacy with God. And I, I would prefer to separate my, my relationship with God from my relationship with people. Like, here's my relationship with God over here, here's my relationship with people over here. Well, John does not allow that in <laughs> First John, where he writes, you know, if a man says he loves God but hates his uh, brother, he is a liar. How can you love God who you don't see when you don't love your brother who you do see? And so, so um, when I put my disciple in community, I am seeing the inhibitors to love, which means inhibitors to God, because God is love. John writes, "He who loves, he uh, he who lives in love lives in God, and God in him." And and so it's only in community that I kind of have a barometer reading of my disciples' ability to both to love and to receive love. Because mm-hmm. some are good at receiving the love, but terrible at giving it. Some people are good at giving it, but are terrible at receiving it. Well, it's got to be both. It's got to be a two-way street. And it's not. And again, it's not just about your relationship with people. We're talking about your relationship with God. So how I'm helping my disciple connect to God is to help him connect to the other disciples. Mm-hmm. Well, that refinement exists for me too. I mean, I there was. I remember a a. Uh, a guy that it was who was in our community and it was it just always felt easier when he wasn't there like it always just felt a little lighter and more enjoyable when he wasn't there and and that there was a critical spirit in me that could identify the five things that was wrong with him but it wasn't until god really <laughs> humbled me and and worked on my heart it said no the reason why he acts like this is not because he's arrogant and self-centered. It's because he's insecure and scared. And so my criticism and judgment melted away to empathy and to care. And so now when I interact with him and he's doing things that in our group that are frustrating to me, like I can see that as, okay, God, he needs your kindness. He doesn't need my judgment. And so that's the work that's happening in me as I'm forced to, to walk with people who may not necessarily be my first choice or the easiest for me to be with. And it takes years. Yeah. You know, Jesus took three years with his guys, probably 27 months. And, you know, I want it to be quick or one conversation with them. And, mm-hmm. But it doesn't work because it's not only his relationship with, you know, Peter's relationship with Thomas. It's Peter's relationship with Thomas 
Peter's relationship with Andrew, Peter's relationship with Matthew, and Matthew with Peter's. And then how does Peter's relationship with Thomas affect Peter's relationship with Matthew? So there's a complexity that goes on relationally, and it takes a while to work that all through. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things to me that, that I think is really beautiful and fun to see, though, is when sort of the light bulb of love begins to go, you know, begins to, you know, turn on in someone's life. Mm-hmm. When when someone who is not used to receiving love, uh, unconditionally knowing that the community mm-hmm. is there for them, and when they experience that for like the first time or the first couple of times, uh, when they may feel like they've done something to um, be unlovable, and then when not just one person, but an entire community of people come around them in that moment, I mean, that is a, those are life altering moments for people when they realize I, I belong here and I am loved here no matter what. And that's not, that doesn't mean no matter what, so I can do whatever I want, but it is, there is, there is a community of people who are for me and they're going to stay with me through thick and thin, even on my worst day. Well, (laughs) you're bringing out the obvious that we haven't talked about is that it's disciple making. It's about belonging. Right. And, and the only way you can make disciples is in belonging and belonging to God through the gospel. We are now adopted to God's family. And so it really is a belonging experience. And how do I do that one-on-one at Starbucks? You know, I, I yeah. you know, maybe a friendship and belonging, but but not like you're describing in the group dynamic of yeah. belonging, you know. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people have not had that experience in their life. They're used to people, they're used to people uh, turning their back on them. They're used to their friends leaving them. They're used to, you know, what those kind of negative experiences, and I think that's what's so unique about uh, discipling in community when it is hopefully done in the through the the group laying down its mm-hmm. life for the individuals. Uh, that that that's just a unique and powerful thing that can't happen to its fullest in a one-on-one. And it's countercultural. We are raised to be rugged individualists, or it almost feels wrong to belong. Yeah. And, um, or it's it's, wrong to receive. Well, I don't want to receive because I don't, that makes me look weak Weak, and needy. Right. Sure. And who, who, you know, or may obligate me to you, you know, and and I don't want to do that. I wonder, I've never thought about this before, but I wonder, so after Peter denied Christ, and just the shame that he surely felt in that. Mm-hmm. To levels he's probably never felt shame before. And then we, we have the passage where Jesus restores him, right? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. But I wonder, what did it look like for the other ten guys to come around him? Yeah, because they obviously did. They obviously did, because they allowed him to lead and they empowered him to lead. But what... Because the leader's away now. Jesus is gone. And so it's, it, there was that restoration with Jesus, but there had to been something that happened within that group that says, okay, we see you, we see what you did, but you are still one of us. Yeah. In fact, we need you to lead us. You're not disqualified. You're prepared by this. I, I don't want to read too much into it, but I just am, if he hadn't had the, the other 10 around him, I wonder how different his development would have been as a leader. Yeah. So I've heard both of you guys 
say that love in its at its core in a word is rather disciple making in its core is love and another synonym i've heard you guys talk about is friendship why why are you using those terms synonymously like what what do love and friendship and disciple making have to do with one another well the i think it comes from the essence of god i think friendship comes from who he is i mean uh his friendship with abraham is what the scriptures describe it. Um, he spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend, face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then, once again, Jesus comes on earth, and we see what God looks like in our world. And what is he? He's a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of the marginalized. He's friends with Lazarus and, his, and Mary and Martha. And, you know, and to his disciples, he says, you are my friends. Mm-hmm. And so... That's once again, I can't separate disciple making from friendship and friendship from disciple making. Yeah, you know, in the in the gospels we we really do it it's easy to forget that we really do get a limited view uh, of the of the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. There's there was so much more happening in those relationships uh, that we don't get to see. And so and they were together so much and you know, in John 15, when he's, it is, you know, great, greater love is knowing this, they lay down his life for his friends, you are my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that there was just thousands and thousands and thousands of moments that reflected that, mm-hmm. that they had. You know, they, they hung out together, they laughed together, they uh, ate together, they enjoyed one another. You know, they were about the, the, the work of the kingdom, but it was, um, there was so much so many other things going on that made that such a powerful experience together. And I think it was genuine friendship of commitment to one another. And when we talk about friendship, though, I think that we have to be careful in our context, in the Western context, what we mean by friendship. Because I think the Western um cultures are pretty bad at friendship we're not good at friendship because of the rugged individualism and um and so again getting a biblical view of friendship and that's where i i think the reason that the story of jonathan and david is in the scriptures is to paint you know what friendship looks like and again we take our western values and put it on that friend we see it as two fraternity brothers you know hanging out together well in reality uh, Jonathan had to be 20 years older than David. Jonathan was married. Jonathan had kids. David was a 17-year-old teenager. And Jonathan's the king, the heir apparent to the king. He's a prince. He's a warrior. And yet, again, he saw in David potential. I think he saw David from God's perspective. And then he made a covenant with David. It doesn't say... David made a covenant, or they made a covenant together. You know, it was the greater with the covenant with the lesser. And he gave symbols of the covenant to him, you know, through giving him his sword, giving him his you know, robe. And and um, and once again, I think it's the discipler um, laying down his life for his uh, mm-hmm. disciple. And, you know, Again, your best friend may be 20 years older than you. Your best friend may become 20 years younger than you. You know, I look at my friendship with Taylor Gardner, and he's at least 20 years older than I am. 
And I would say there's disciples in my life now who are, they're like, I wish I would have friend with you when I was in college or high school or because of just the quality of life that they have. And, and so I, I think it is reframing what we mean by friendship mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Doug, I know when you were in college, there was a man, Tim Smith, who came alongside you and pursued you in friendship and that had a pretty significant impact on your life. Mm-hmm. What was it about that friendship that was, that was so shifting in your life Gosh, experience? That was a lot. Um, again, it was a, it was a pretty fragile time for me personally. I don't get into all that, but it, it just was. I love it. There had been a lot going on and, uh, and I, and I think I didn't really know in that time how all that was going on in my life and how faith, how it all really worked out, how it fit together. It was, really, it was, it was you know, really confusing um, because I felt like, you know, this life of faith, of following Jesus was out of my league, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really felt like, man, I just can't do mm-hmm. it. I'm just not, I just can't do it. Um, I couldn't live up to that. And so when I met Tim, Tim's two years older than me. And when he really pursued me, I didn't really understand why. You know, he had knew a couple of my roommates, and that was kind of the connection. And then we ended up meeting. Um, and he, he, he didn't, it wasn't, hey, let me, let me fix something about you. You know, he invited me into his apartment and we ate cheap frozen pizza, you know, that you could get three for a dollar at the Winn Dixie grocery store. Because well, this was in the seventies when you were in college. <laughs> yeah, in the nineties. Cool. Okay, sorry. And now, you know, and he was newlywed, you know, and so he had that going on in his life, but he he just chose to hang out with me and, and I won't get into to all the things that I liked about Tim, but he was normal. You know, and like he, he was imperfect and he wasn't afraid to be imperfect uh, with me. Um, but at the same time, I knew that he really loved Jesus and was pursuing that. And so there was this genuineness about him and about his pursuit to me that, that made me go, okay, yeah, I, can, I think I can hang with this guy for a little while. Um, and so it was just genuine. I didn't, I never in that season, I never, I never, have never felt like with him, man, there's an agenda. Mm-hmm. He's my friend and he's looking out for me. Um, and that changed. Yeah, it changed my life. I mean, that, that literally changed the trajectory of my entire life, that one friendship, which, mm-hmm. is, which is pretty crazy. And I can't tell my spiritual story or how I feel or think about ministry and discipleship. I cannot tell that without talking about Tim, mm-hmm. one guy who was a great friend to me mm-hmm. who I, it doesn't matter now. And with sort of different lives, I could pick up the phone and call him right now. We should do that live on the air. No. <laughs> no. But we just pick up right where we were. And I know that right now Tim believes in me and is proud of me, you know, and, and is my friend. That's so powerful. How, Again, we you know we've talked before about how sometimes we make the Christian growth, the discipleship process, just too complicated when it's as simple as loving well yeah. and pointing people to Jesus. And it's just it's it's remarkable just how one person who loved you well and pointed yeah. you to Christ changed the trajectory of your life, of your family, like and just set into motion potentially generations. Yeah. 
because he and it was like he he definitely pushed me spiritually he challenged me but even when you know i remember a specific conversation he said you know you can't do that anymore <laughs> you know he just called me out on something but i needed that but i knew it was coming from a genuine place of love and friendship and so i could listen to that and and i could go yeah yeah you're probably right i don't need to i don't need to do that and i think we are we become image bearers of god when we are friends and um friendship again reflects the image of god to the world I, th- I think something really key you said too, Doug, was this idea of pursuit. Yeah, and I've I've thought about it like, well, so who who's your Christian crush, Doug? You're, you're, you're the, the the pastor, the author, the musician. Like you know, it's like you got a little bit of a crush on on, on him. I, you know, I don't understand the question. Who's your guy? Like who's the who's the person you really look up to, or like? You know, okay, as it's a you, Ryan. It's no, you. that's not where I'm going, Doug. That's not where I'm going. But thank you. Anyway, we can wrap it up now. Uh, who's your? I mean, who's your? Well, I mean, there's several that I look. Just, to. just one. Like I, it's got to be. He's got to be famous, or she's got to be famous. No, I mean, I, I really like Eugene Peterson a lot. Okay, we're going with Eugene Peterson. Thank you. He's great. You don't okay. have to qualify. Your shoulders are slumped like you're so... Yeah, there's no well, pressure. I don't like this the question. Is, <laughs> I don't, oh, this is where I'm going. What if... It's my wife. Shelly what is if, my oh, crush. She is wonderful. Great answer. <laughs> She's beautiful. What if Eugene Peterson... Did he pass away recently? He did. I think he did. Years ago. Ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, let's, let's go back in time then. Five years ago. Let's say Eugene Peterson, you're at a conference and he's there. And he comes up to you and says, hey, Doug, um, you don't know me. I'm Eugene Peterson. I've been talking to some guys that you know. And the, and I just feel like you've got a, a lot of great things going for you. And, and I would love to pour myself into you and kind of mentor and disciple you. How would you feel about that? That'd be crazy. Yeah, that'd be pretty exciting, right? Let's go to Montana and live on your house in the lake and um, do this. Yeah. And, I mean, it'd be one thing if you went to him and said, hey, would you disciple right. me? And, right. he, and he said, yes. He'd be like, sweet. But he comes to you yeah. and says, you're the guy. Like, that's, that's incredible, the, the empowerment of that. And that's, you know, because Jesus did that with his guys, which was not the convention of the time. Like, rabbis did not go around asking people to be their students to follow them. Like, that, that, that's not how it worked. Pupils chose their rabbi. But, you know, what we love about Jesus, he wasn't concerned with convention, you know, because he wasn't starting a, a respectable school or institution. He was starting a, a movement, um, a movement about God and his love and loving relationships. So he knew that pursuing and inviting people empowered his disciples. And again, I think about, you know, Peter in his moment of shame, like, I'm guessing the disciples constantly went back to the, I screwed up, but, but he chose me. Like he picked me for a reason. He didn't pick all those other people. He chose me and there must be a reason he came after me and asked him to follow me rather asked me to follow him. Thank you. Um, and I just think that's, that's why it's so significant that we pursue people in friendship, that we are the ones, um, creating an avenue, um, and that, you know, John 15, 16 says, you know, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. So, so yeah, my encouragement is that we, we don't wait for God to send people, plop them in our laps, but we pray, Spirit of God, who is it around me that you have well, for me? Well, and I think with that, too, that 
and, and I think this is part of my own story, um, is when Jesus chose the disciples, it's not like they were the cream of the crop of the neighborhood. Right. I mean, these were knuckleheads. You know, they were rough. They were regular working class, foul-mouthed, argumentative, arrogant kids that that he said, I see potential for the kingdom in you to change the world. And, and I feel like, I mean, I wasn't a fisherman, you know, um, I'm not I'm very bad at catching fish, but I've, I felt like that for me in my story. I mean, I was not, yeah, I was not in a, you know, I didn't have a lot going for me spiritually, but someone said, yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. pursue you. And, and, and that's always stuck with me into to never make an assumption about someone that, okay, you know, the whole influence the influencers, you know, I've got a problem with that, you know, because that means I'm going to look past all of these other people and make this assumption that they can't influence. And so I want to look for the guy that's, you know, got the, the position over here or the one that's, you know, whatever. Um, but Jesus, he went with the guy throwing a net in the lake. And, and that really helps me to open my eyes to the potential of anyone's life. That's right. Um, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to be so full of myself that I, that I think I can figure out who, you know, and it's anybody. Louis, uh, any last thoughts here? Well, I, I look at Barnabas pursuing Saul, you know, when Saul came to Jerusalem and they did not believe he was truly a disciple, the apostles, and Barnabas intervened on his behalf. And then later, five years later, Barnabas is in Antioch, and Paul, had, because of persecution, fled to his hometown of Tarsus. And he, I forget, it's between 300, 300 and 500-mile trek that Barnabas took to go to Tarsus to go look for him. He didn't know for sure if he was there. Found him and brought him back to Antioch. And then the Holy Spirit set them apart, you know, to do ministry. And then Paul, you know, when they're traveling around and he comes across to Timothy and goes, boy, you're coming with me, you know, and that kind of that pursuit. You know, what if I asked the question, what if Barnabas had not done that for Saul? You know, what if Paul had not done that for Timothy? Um, mm-hmm. uh, humanly speaking, what would have happened in their lives? I look at my own life, I go... What if Taylor Gardner had not sought me out and given me a platform to do ministry? I, I, you know, I'm not sure where I would be today. Um, so. All right. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you all for listening to our podcast um, as we're walking through the book Imitating Jesus by Louis Clark. Uh, you can head over to iconministries.org if you would like some more resources or access to other articles and videos on making disciples. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. You're Thank two you. of my heroes. Thank you.